Hello and welcome to the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast. My name is Luke Burridge and this is a show where I review every single science fiction book that I read as I read it. There's no set schedule, it's just whenever I finish the book I do the review, stick it up here on the podcast feed for everyone to download and listen to. So today I'm uh, going to be reviewing a book which has been recommended to me many times in the past and I've always been intrigued by but never really got around to reading it. And uh, the reason, one of the reasons I've not got around to reading it is that it's a... Uh, uh, it's not been on Audible and I often like the first thing I do if someone recommends me a book I look it up on Audible and if it's there I'll add it to my wish list or add it to my uh, you know to read list on um, Goodreads and I switch between them so this is a book which has been on my to read list on Goodreads for many 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 years um, but I've always been like waiting for an, an audiobook to come out or for anything to be available and in the end I was just like look this, I guess, is never going to come out as an audiobook. Let me just get it as a Kindle book and it can just sit there in my Kindle. So the next time I'm like, hey, I don't have anything to read or I don't feel like an audiobook. I just want to read a, an ebook. It'll be there and it'll be the next one that I, I pick up. And so that's what I did. And it's been uh, sitting in my Kindle reader for the last few months. And then I was sort of like, I finished Red Mars. Um, two days ago and then I was like ah okay finish Red Mars um, I'm not going to review that straight away so let's uh, let's find another book which uh, isn't a massive chunky book and I realised that uh, all of the other audiobooks that I have are these big chunky audiobooks so I was like I don't really want to start in straight away on a uh, another 30 hour 25 hour um, audiobook um, reading experience I want some a break from something a bit lighter and uh, so I started this one and uh, yeah pretty much finished it in two days uh, so got through it pretty quickly like a day and a half or something um, it's uh, China Mountains Yang by Maureen F. McHugh and uh, first published in 1992 March of 1992 and it says paperback 313 pages so not a big book not a chunky book at all uh, you know decent size um, the uh, decent sized novel and uh, another reason why I wanted to read it is because it's very well um, uh, very well reviewed and uh, by lots of people very highly recommended but also it, it um, was uh, got lots of nominations for different awards Nebula Award nominee for best novel Locus Award for best first novel it won that one James Tripty James Tiptree Junior Award it won that one um, and uh, I think did it get a Hugo Award maybe not uh, uh, not a Hugo Award I think it was nominated as well the Lambda Literary Award for Gay Men Science Fiction and Fantasy which is an award I don't think I've heard of before or maybe I've not noticed it when a book has uh, has won the uh, Lambda Literary Award for Gay Gay Men Science Fiction and Fantasy um, so uh, one of the reasons I didn't really get to this is because, you know, I'd heard some things about it which didn't really appeal to me very much, that it was kind of cyberpunk, and I'm like, I'm not really that interested in cyberpunk, I'm not really sure. Um, but in the end, I'm very glad I did read this, because while it is cyberpunk, there is some cyberpunky technology, it, you know, it's from 1993, so there's lots of people, you know, jacking into the net and hooking themselves up and linking things, linking to computers and uh, having... Uh, you know, very cyberpunky battles with people with balls rolling around in some virtual reality and all that kind of stuff. Um, that is a very minor part of this. And the things that come along with a lot of cyberpunk, um, which I which I don't like, isn't isn't so much there because this is not a cyberpunk novel where like the corporations have taken over and everything is, you know, nihilistic and things. It's actually set in a world where the um the there's been a 
a, a, a people's, it's like in the People's Republic of the United States of America, I have it works out. So in the future, and this is, this is kind of all the way through, it, this is kind of reference, but it's only in like the last chapter where they say, okay, now let's have the info dump. And they kind of explain exactly what's happened, exactly what's happened here. So there was, it keeps talking about the great cleansing winds and uh, which is a, a weird way of saying like, you know, there's the, the great leap forward or the cultural revolution, you know, America has had one of its own kind of um, uh, great movements, uh, socialist, communist movements that kind of swept through. And um, of course, it turns out to be a little bit more complicated than that. But there was there was a, you know, a, a, an economic crash. They said it was the second Great Depression. Then there was a second American Revolution and then a second Civil War. Um, and with these great cleansing winds with Chinese help, uh, a, a new government comes in and kind of sets up a, a communist government in America. So it's a it's kind of like a cyberpunk dystopia, which doesn't just have like the unlimited corporatism and corporations and things like that set in the background. However, of course, it isn't just as easy as that, because what starts out as sort of like, oh, yes, we live in a communist country. And it's kind of like, you know, the the kind of satire or critique of this where it's sort of like, oh, and there's too much bureaucracy and you want to set up a commune and you say, oh, yes, you just have to wait two years. And everyone laughs because they all know it's going to take five years to set up the commune. It's sort of like, oh, you can... You can, uh, everyone can have housing. Yes, we'll provide housing for everyone, except that you can't live in New York, of course, because uh, there's not enough housing in New York, so you've got to go and live in upstate Pennsylvania, and all of the houses are 10 stories high, but then the water pressure there isn't isn't uh, high enough, so you can only get uh, water on the first three floors, and if you live on the 10th floor, well, you've got to you've got to fill buckets in the, you know, and all of these kind of things which come from, like, the kind of things that we know from these critiques of communism, where the bureaucracy kind of takes over and everything and everything is done not in a like not in a satisfying way everyone is equal but uh, nobody is happy unless you live on the third floor if you live higher than the third floor you've got to your taps don't work anymore that kind of thing but then as it goes through you realize actually this is all just a veneer and all that corporate stuff is in the background when people go to china they realize there are the like the different hong kong and shenzhen economic zones and a lot of the action takes place there and they realize oh there is actually a lot of money going around and at the end of the book it's kind of shown that every, there's like this you know a two class or multiple classes, different castes, and if you're an American, you don't get access to the the, the corporations and things like that. You don't get access, uh, and you don't get all the six-figure salaries, and you know, look, get well looked after, and get all access to the best technology and the best jobs and the best fashion. All that just isn't available to you if you're a uh, if you're just merely an American. Only if you've got family connections in some cases, or money connections, or education connections, or if you know how to work the system you can get through it. So that's all in that's all in the background there is sort of like, oh yes, it's a communist system, but it's not really. Oh, there's there's corporations, but they're not really powerful. Oh, they're not working for everyone. And it just feels like a really interesting way instead of it being like, oh, there's the, you know, there's a, a fall of society and like a collapse of society and everything's dystopian. It's not it's not really dystopian. Um you know, it brings back the idea from uh, was it William Gibson who said like the future is already here. It's not, it's just not very well distributed, not very equally distributed. You kind of get this idea that in this case that China is the new superpower and America is like now what would consider more of a third world country. And there was some 
some very interesting like quotes about that which uh, uh which did i highlight these maybe i need to look through actually let me uh, quickly see i should have done this beforehand uh where are the uh notes nope that's not it i'm looking for my notes um so uh it says new york in fact the states seem to suffer from a serious lack of follow through and that's talking about the uh you know like buildings and stuff like that you know, oh they you know new york has gotten around uh, they they put this non-slip patch like covering on the floors of the metro um, and it's indestructible except that it's not indestructible and now there's holes in it and the holes provide slippery spots and heel catches which contradicts the only reason for using it that is to provide non-slip surface uh, and I understand that maintenance is expensive but what about the apartments out in Pennsylvania when they found there was insufficient water pressure why did they keep building because where else are they going to put people? So I really like this idea, which is kind of, I mean, this was written in 1992, and America is still kind of now, even more so, I think, like struggling with those same kind of things. It's sort of like, yes, we're a superpower. Yes, we're the great nation. We are the best. Yay, American exceptionalism exceptionalism, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, and you really do see that sort of like, yeah, but your subways aren't working. Literally what they're talking about here now is the new thing in New York. Well, not the new thing, but it's what's happening in New York. They're closing down the subways they can't get it to run in time the costs are going up and up and up um and now it's this big political thing once again the subways in new york are this big political uh thing after decades of not being a huge political problem they are back there again so it's a uh, it's a it's one of those fun things when you're reading the book. You're like, wow, this is like more relevant now in 2018 than it was in 1992 uh, when this book was written and released. Maybe. I'm not sure. But I really like that. And yet, of course, the rise of China and... Um, one of the big things is said that, yeah, like in America, they realize, look, we can't control the economy if we keep taking this short term view. You know, we, we do something for two years and then we may do something for four years, but we don't really do that. Um, and then now, of course, think, looking at the real world, you're like, OK, what, are these, what do these treaties mean? I just read something today about like some dairy farmers in, in no, not dairy farmers, like tariffs between Canada and America and the NAFTA thing is all going up in here. So sort of like, well, you can't really do any planning of an economy. You can't really get anything under control in that way. And in this book, it kind of says, yeah, they look at the uh, they looked at the Chinese model and said, yeah, the Chinese, uh, the Chinese have got a 10 year, no, a four year plan and a 10 year plan and a 50 year plan. Um, so if they need to make sure that the uh, that the premier of China, uh, the, the the president of China, whoever it is, the, the chairman of China, I don't know uh, the exact title. If he needs to be there in in power for life, well, let's just make him do it just so we can keep control of the economy and keep going through things. And and I like that the idea in this book that the Americans saw how in control the Chinese were of their own economy and said, hey, we need to be that much in control. Let's go for it. And then it didn't work out. Again, I'm not really entirely sure in this book what all those kind of things you know, all those kind of things, like what order they all came in, even though it is explained at the end, sort of like the great cleansing wind and all that kind of stuff, which which way round all that happened. But, you know, that kind of precipitated the change in uh, uh, in economic planning and uh, what happens there. But yes, of course, America, very much a third world country. So the fact that our main character is known as an ABC, an American-born Chinese, um, and he uh, is actually half Chinese and half um, Hispanic. 
Um, I can't remember where it says his mother's from, but he, he grew up looking Chinese because he was genetically uh, modified uh, at birth or shortly after birth. So when he grew up, he would look completely Chinese. Um, but he, uh, but he, uh, he spoke um, uh, Spanish when he was growing up with his Spanish mother as, after his father moved away. And so then his life is kind of this balance between trying to hide his, like, his mixed-race heritage, even though he can pass exactly for Chinese, but then he has to le learn Mandarin, he has to learn Chinese uh, to be able to fit in, and he's got some jobs, and people treat him as though he is Chinese or an American-born Chinese, even though he sees himself as a mixed-race. So a lot of what he goes through in the book, he constantly thinks, oh, when they find out that I'm only half Chinese, that I'm not fully Chinese, when they find out my mother's real name, rather than her party name, she goes by Lee, but her name wasn't Lee, uh, once they find out her real name, it's going to go really badly for me. And uh, and I quite like that the fact that that never really happens in the book, that even though he's worrying about it all the time, he isn't, you know, he, he isn't... Um, he isn't discriminated against because of that, because actually his outward look of being looking completely Chinese from two Chinese parents, even though he comes from America and everyone knows he's America from like this backwards, you know, not place with not very good fashion, all that kind of thing. Um, it doesn't really come into it. And yet at the same time, his story is informed so much by the fact that he's gay and that all the time he's sort of like, well, as soon as they find out that thing about me, they'll look closer and find out that I'm gay and that's now illegal in the United States. Uh, and not only is it legal in the United States, that when you get over to China, it is uh, so illegal that you can be put in a, you know, you can be killed for it. Um, and that kind of plays into it. So what I thought I was going to get, which was like this, hey, rebelling against a dystopia kind of novel, it isn't even that because he he never rebels against it for various reasons. One is that because, you know, he just finds out a way how to work the system and to get through the bureaucracy, even though a few times that kind of happens by accident. He's sort of like, well, I'm applying for this. Oh, shit, this has happened. And they're like, actually, I can turn this to my advantage. And then he does. And then something else happens, which is pretty heartbreaking. And he's like, well, now I can turn that to my advantage. And then he moves back somewhere. sort of like, this isn't going to work. And then he goes into the bureaucracy again. They say, well, you've got to have a temporary job. So how about, you know, teaching? And he's like, oh, yeah, I can do teaching. And so he keeps kind of falling backwards into this upward mobility through the system and making taking advantage of the bureaucracy all the time not wanting to put his neck on the line because he's always thinking well as soon as they find out that I'm gay it's all going to go wrong for me and as soon as they find out that you know I'm not fully Chinese that I'm only half Chinese then it's all going to go wrong for me and as soon as they find out that I'm not actually talented that I'm just falling into this and that you know I need to do it it's all going to go wrong for me but you know it, it doesn't go wrong for him things I mean it's not easy and he puts in a lot of hard work but it does seem to be like kind of like a, a fatalistic novel about sort of like just bumbling bumbling along in the system and you think oh it's going to be a dystopian he's going to rebel against the system no there's not really even a system to rebel against it's sort of just like like well everyone just gets on with it and nobody is happy but it kind of the system kind of works and you you know, there's there's not a lot of, like, you know, there's lots and lots of talk about, oh, and I don't have a lot of money, so I'm living in squalor. Actually, that was one of my f f favorite parts about the book, was that it's actually a lot about just the day-to-day -day lives of things, you know. He just goes about and it talks a lot about, oh, now I'm eating here, and I went for food there, and I got a drink here, and I'm eating there. Like, talking about, like, the social life, and also I've got this apartment. There's lots of descriptions of different apartments that he lives in, of course, because he also is, like, an architect, a building engineer, so so he looks at it in a different way too. But um, a lot of the 
a lot of the system seems to mostly work, except it's just like really drab and not very and not a very interesting and nice place to live. So yeah, it's it wasn't a um, you know the book isn't a cyberpunk dystopia that people are rebelling against, and also it's not a it's not like the, the cyberpunk thing where like the world is on the line or anything really bad is going to happen. Of course, bad things do happen, but it's sort of like oh, I've got to save the world, I've got to do this. No, it, it is very much sort of like slice of life kind of thing. He goes around his life and tries to find a job and gets fired from a job and all this kind of stuff and tries to find, you know, tries to find love and tries to work with his relationships and things and, you know, interact with people who don't know he's gay and then interact with people who suspect he's gay and then all those different kind of things. So, yeah, lots of slices of life of not a not a really strong plot. It's very much sort of like, what is it like to live in this system? And thankfully, the system that this whole society and everything Everything is very, very well, um, very well described and very well realized in a way which I know it just I thought it was really captivating in a way that I don't think it would be even if I'd read this 10 years ago to me, because like I say a lot of it feels like more relevant now and I'm not even quite sure why. But also I think I've got a little bit more distance from the cyberpunkish the cyberpunk stuff that would normally turn me off about a novel, you know, that they're still using fax machines. Like, even ten years ago, I would think, well, that's not, you know, that doesn't feel very relevant to today. But now it feels so divorced from the reality that we live in, that, like, everybody has smartphones. In this one, it's sort of like, when people would call someone up at home. There's no sort of, like, mobile technology. And I think now that we're in such a completely different technological world, I can look at the future that was predicted or that was posited or that, you know, this author wanted to write about from 1992. And it's so disconnected from our current world that I, yeah, I just have that distance to it. I have the distance now to the technology in 1992 uh, or the future technology posited in 1992 so I know it's very much more of an alternate an alternate history that we could be living in now um, uh, which you just need that extra bit of distance I can find that very easy to read books that are written in 1960 and think well of course he wouldn't have predicted computers and the internet and all these different kind of things or you know a book that was written in even like the uh, you know like the 70s or 80s and I'm like, well, this isn't how it worked out, but the author, she couldn't have known that at the time, and it's fine. Whereas a book written, say, for example, um, I recently read a book which I thought was going to be a cyberpunk book, but, was, uh, but wasn't. What was that book? Uh, let me quickly have a look at this. Yeah, William Gibson, Pattern Recognition, which was written in, like, 19... No, sorry, it, written in 2002. And it was very, very 2002. But it didn't posit it... But it doesn't posit any future stuff because it was kind of set at the same time and everything was relevant to there. Uh, re- relevant at that moment, you know, with the technology at the time. So you have a laptop with a with a, a, a plug-in modem and, you know, you're using all that kind of stuff. It was like a time capsule. This isn't a time capsule in the sense that that is. But, yeah, it's... Like I say, it's just, I think I'm getting from 1992 just enough different distance from the technological um, ideals or ideas that they had about in the future to treat it as a separate thing rather than like a missed, a missed prediction. It's not, no longer a missed prediction. It's just from a different time. And 1992 is such a different time. Um, what else do I have to say about this novel? Um, oh, there's some stuff set on... Oh, so the structure of the novel. Let me explain this way. So, I've not even said what the, the main character's name is. It is actually the same as the as the uh, the title of the book. 
Um, and I wrote down, I made a note here of the different characters' names. So his name is Zhang Zhongshan, uh, which translates into China Mountain Zhang. And China, uh, and China Mountain was a, uh, is the name, or was the name, um, in this book is the name of the, one of the revolutionary leaders. Um, and, uh, and his mother called him that. So it's sort of like saying, yes, it's like having the name George Washington Jones. So he always just goes by uh, Zhang, like Jones, rather than uh, George Washington, because otherwise it's a, um, a, a bit weird. So he is our main character, and he is a, a building technician, and he goes around life uh, and you know meets this person, goes here and gets his job here, and the foreman at work tries to set him up with his daughter, because his daughter is American-born Chinese, but has two Chinese parents, so she can get into a university back in China. China, um, that kind of thing. So that's his, that's the main thing. Whereas as we go through the book, we then get like every other chapter is a different character will come in. And these are like side characters in the book from his life that we then read a little slice of life of them. So we get some, uh, a flyer and there's these races in New York where there's sort of like this uh, human powered hang gliding racing, which is very dangerous because they're flying around, you know, 200, 300 meters um, and going through the buildings and racing around the skyscrapers in Manhattan. And that's, and you can, what you can say, you can jack into them. You can, uh, you can experience what the flyers are feeling by plugging in and getting a stream from them. So you get the, the adrenaline rush of flying hang gliders around um, Manhattan uh, uh, skylines and skyscrapers without actually having it being dangerous for you. But people, so um, Zhang, he actually, um, he he uh, he goes to see the races on a date and then we get a bit from one of the races' point of view. And then we get a bit from, uh, you know, another character's point of view. And then we get like a little bit from over here in this character's point of view. Um, so So we get these little side chapters coming in. And the first one, I just thought, oh, I hope we go back to, you know, China Mountain Zhang again, because he's very much the, the, the main character. And we do. We do go back to him. Like, every other chapter is his. Like, the main chunk of the book is his story. But these little side characters who come in, I do think, like, I don't know, it, it's one of these things where as it first happened, I was like, meh, okay, well, I can kind of see what you're doing here, these little linked stories. And then someone else comes in, someone on Mars, and we have this little Martian adventure with someone who has honey... Uh, a honey uh, farm and goats on Mars and I'm like okay that was pretty sweet and then we go back to Mars and, and read another part of that story I'm like okay and then some other characters here and there and um, it it felt a little bit disconnected of course but and then but of course they are all connected like the characters do meet um, however what I thought was interesting and often the most important character that we see in these side characters aren't the side characters they're the side characters within the side characters and and a lot of the times you don't notice that until it comes further back that actually some of the most influential people in those side characters are not the characters who are the viewpoint in those characters, but the ones which are like adjacent to them. Um, and so each one of these little little stories kind of sometimes pays off well, sometimes um, it doesn't pay off as much, but, you know, it does come back in and sort of say, oh, this person over here, oh, that person becomes a student of this person, oh, this person here, well, it turns out that person who is the side character in the side character story actually will come back into our main characters, into Zhang's life later on and be important in this way. So, um, they, uh, uh, so they're not irrelevant, but they're not connected enough to make it think, it's sort of like this second-hand connectivity to the main uh, to the main story, which uh, which I I found 
Again, sort of like, it would be a bit too easy if they were just sort of like, oh, and then, you know, this character crossed paths with our main character. Let's follow them for a little bit. Didn't Wasn't that an exciting story over there? Or an interesting story? Great, okay, now let's leave them and go back. So it wasn't quite that. There was a little bit more connectivity. Very, very subtle structure to the book of, like, what plays in. And the entire book spans, I'd say, like, he starts off, he's like 26 or something like that. So maybe five, six years of uh, Zhang's life. And... Each section is kind of set in a new place or for, you know, for a different thing. You know, it starts off, he's just got a job in, um, in uh, New York. And, uh, and so, and then he, I think maybe two chapters of, of Zhang are there. And then he goes up to the Arctic Circle to Baffin Island and works at a research base as just sort of like manual labor up there. But because he did that, uh, he gets, uh, you know, he gets a placement at a, at a, at a university in China, so he goes over there. We have a few chapters over there, um, and uh, yeah, and then and then he comes back to New York and starts a new life in New York. Again, there's no spoilers for this because it's all just slice of life stuff. Sort of like he goes there, he meets up with this, and all the characters around him. Um, uh, I think again, some of the most fascinating. He's an interesting character in his own right, but I liked a lot of the side characters, um, and also like I say, the side characters of the side characters, like who I thought would be. Um, you know, sort of like a minor character in in one person's story becomes bigger and bigger in somebody else's story. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's why we're spending time with this one. Not because of them, but because of the character they're connecting with. Um, So uh, uh, what else do I have here? Oh, yeah, Mars is quite funny that uh, uh, some of it, I've just read read Mars, uh, listened to the audiobook of Red Mars. So Mars was very much in my uh, in my head when I went into this book. So I was kind of it was kind of fun to read another book where there is another little bit of uh, settlement on Mars. And because if you read Med- if you read Red Mars or that whole series, there's a lot of like political posturing and working things out and sort of like, no, we're all gonna live in communes and we're not gonna have money and all that kind of stuff. And it's very idealistic and political. And then you get a similar kind of thing in this book too. Um, where sort of like, yes, now we're living in a commune, it's all going to work out, but the workers aren't happy and we need to be placements. I was like, wow, this is this is the same book. And I realised, oh yeah, this is probably from around about the same time. Um, when did Red Mars come out? Oh no, I'm not going to look it up now, but probably around about 90s. I'm guessing sometime in the 90s when Red Mars came out. And uh, and even some of the place names that are mentioned in Red Mars are also mentioned in this book. Um, but I enjoyed those stories. Um, I do have an issue with one of the stories and I complained about this in previous stories that like, okay, one way to do this uh, to to get, you know, to to easily talk about um, to easily have a woman as a victim to make us care about her is to put a rape scene in there. And that does happen in this book. And I do think that was actually one of the weaker moments of this book. And unfortunately, there was two weak moments in this book. Um, That one and one that comes right afterwards where suddenly Zhang is in a lecture and he suddenly goes off in this tangent onto, you know, talking about politics. And it didn't really seem to fit with his character because it, it just felt like he was filling time in this lecture and he went off into a, dis, you know, got distracted and started talking about politics. And up until that point, I was like, he never really felt this political. And it suddenly felt like like a Red Mars political lecture had suddenly been dumped into this book. And that's when we get this whole, like, info dump right in the final chapters where they say, oh, maybe I've forgotten to tell you exactly what this book is about. But now let's see what, you know, you know what this is going to be. And it's sort of like, oh, okay, we have this... Um, 
you know, Marx's reading of history, but that, you know, it's all sort of like a, instead of a straight line, maybe it's a cycle and we've got to look at these cycles. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I was kind of getting that already with, with the rest of the book. It didn't need to be spelled out in that way. So it felt like a break from the character. And I could see that it was Shang like growing up and getting his own personality and understanding what he needs to do in a situation and things. And kind of like, it takes long enough because he's very immature at the start of the book and isn't very confident and doesn't take a, you know, like I say, he always falls ass backwards into into all of the things that he does on this. Um, and I kind of see what it was going for, but it fe- it just didn't feel satisfying straight away between those between those two setups, if you know what I mean. There's like no the, between those like I say the two th- the only two parts of the book which I didn't like were right together at the end and one was some like, oh shit, we haven't given any history of the world yet. Okay, let's do the info dump now in a character breaking moment and w- what I felt was an unnecessary rape scene at the end. Again, it's difficult for me to say how necessary a rape scene should be or not, but it felt like that character hadn't I think I felt like that character should have earned a little bit more. And if you're going to, uh, again, I don't want to give away too much about what happens there because it is an interesting section. But it felt like that character. I don't know. But then uh, it's weird for me to put it in words. But it it felt too much. Sort of like, okay, we're going to talk about well, this. Is a whole book about people going along with the system. It's a dystopia where nobody rebels. And even in the book, it kind of keeps talking about like the government is big and we people are small. And I can be free as long as I'm free within the gaps of the system, in the cracks of the system. That's those small areas are where I can be free. And I felt like that was illustrated really, really, really well with. Um, Zhang, the main character, where he was like, I can be free in this bit over here as long as I don't, you know, say that I'm half, uh, only half Chinese rather than full Chinese. Or I can be free as long as it never comes out that I'm gay. Uh, Or I can be free as long as this doesn't work out here. Like, and I felt like that was being really well, really well explained by the main character. And I think it was suddenly done like these two really clunky, um, like, like heavy-handed ways of expressing that same kind of thing right at the end uh, of the book um, in a way which I didn't feel compelling for either character on what they went through in those moments. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing. So while I think the rest of the book is almost flawless because the writing is just so fantastic, there are a few things like that which kind of like threw the book off balance for me especially as it was coming into the end I don't mind that there's not an overall story you know there's not very much for me to spoil overall with the with the story I could just say yeah like it's about this character and this these happen to him but again what happens along the way these small moments which inform someone which like uh, these things which could be like in another book they wouldn't even be written about but these small moments which redirect people's lives um I felt like those small moments which redirect people's lives it, within the cracks of a larger system is what this book is about. So I don't, you know, I don't want it to be a, a huge book and, you know, uh, you know, cyberpunk dystopia, rebelling against system, saving the world and all that kind of thing. Because I, I did really like it. It was sort of like, OK, this guy turns up and he's wearing the wrong jumper and people laugh at him. And they're like, where do you get the jumpers? I'm like, this is what people wore in New York last year. And I'm like, oh, like just those small little notes about what the fashion is like, you know, and in, in in China the fashion is this and in New York the fashion is this and in Canada the fashion is in is like this and when he goes across to uh, and when he goes across to Arizona everyone is wearing like khaki uh, pants and these shirts and he's like is this a uniform or is just this what everybody wears here because like <laughs> because in New York everyone's wearing all these different kind of things and 
and yeah, the the uh, the small the small moments which exist in the cracks of a big system, which are a lot about food, a lot about where you find your, you know, like what about your accommodation is like, what the flooring is like in your apartment, what the flooring is like in your friend's apartment, what the carpet is like in this building. All these kind of little references that are brought in about design and architecture and fashion and food. These are these small things which influence people's lives. And at the end of the book, it's like. Um, the author, whose name is uh, Maureen F. McHugh, she suddenly thought, "Oh, right, I actually need something dramatic in here. So let's have a, a you know, let's have a big, uh, you know, political uh, lecture, which is, you know, slightly subversive and a rape scene, and that'll really kick off some. That'll put some drama in at the end of the book." And I was, and, and again, my feeling is like, "No, I don't need that because the writing so far, you were expressing all of that so well in the, you know, talking about all the different, like at one point, sort of like how many different doors can you do?" And he's like, "Oh, this kind of door and that kind of door and this kind of door and that kind of door," and it's kind of expressing the individuality and the freedom that people have, like I say, in the cracks of society so well that I didn't need the lectures and the rape scenes at the end. It, it wasn't, that wasn't needed. Like, we'd already, like every, I was more interested in sort of like, well, how do we keep the goats alive on Mars? You know, that kind of level of writing. It doesn't need to be space elevators and, uh, you know, building space elevators and crashing space elevators and destroying, uh, destroying entire societies and thousands of people dying. I, I really liked the, like, what, what rebellion means if you're gay in New York and there's still a vibrant gay scene and you can do that kind of stuff. That was all more interesting to me. Um, So again, not even a huge complaint about the book, but one thing that really, it did really stand out at the end of the book where like, oh, got to do something dramatic. Let's go. And I'm like, "Eh, I don't really, wasn't really enjoying this book because I was expecting something huge and dramatic to to happen at the end of the book. (laughs) It's not really what I was reading it for, which I totally understand. Like a lot of people I'm sure would read this book and go, well, nothing happens, what's this about? And, uh, and uh, again, I've not got a problem with it. But, hey, yeah, someone actually um, mentioned on Twitter to me, they said, oh, you didn't like the Doomsday book because, you know, you're, you're scared of a book about daily life happening and or you know scared of a scared of a book which is just about daily life and nothing important happening and I was like no I'm totally fine with the books which are just about daily life and nothing nothing important happening nothing exciting happening like uh, you know I had other issues with Doomsday the Doomsday book which is why I, I didn't uh, continue on with it but um, I think uh, China Mountain Zhang is very much a book where like if you if you're the only if you're the kind of person who needs big plotting and big story to be happening within a book to be happy with it this is not the book for you but if you're interested in just like really weird world building not always completely believable world building but then again i don't think our world is that believable in many ways like you know, when you actually look at these things and go, oh, well, this happened, but why would anyone do that? And then you, like, read the news about Brexit at the moment, and you're like, well, well, why would anyone do that? Like, how is that what, how is that what is happening right now? And you read these other technologies and go, well, that's not very realistic. And then you look at the technologies that we've got now and then go, well, that's, that's not really realistic either. <laughs> like, what what technology, what's, what belie- what technology do we have right now which is believable? to anyone in 1992 or anyone now who is looking at what could have been possible in the future of 1992 we wouldn't be thinking about uh, you know the same the things that we have now because nobody did that's why it's not in these books um so i uh, i don't have a problem with some of the things being unbelievable and not non-believable in some way uh it's sort of like say slice of life 
interesting stories mixed together, characters meeting each other with a lot of tragedy and lots of luck and lots of, um, I was going to say lots of stuff, but lots of like just continuing background oppression. Uh, but it never really raises to the level of all-out dystopia. Um, just, you know, just continual weirdness in a way, which I think is very relevant today. So as you can say, I'm, I really, as you can probably see, I really enjoyed this book and would recommend it. Uh, again, there's so much more I could talk about, but I think I've talked about the overall themes and what I liked about it so much that I don't need to even get into the, like, I haven't even mentioned some of my favourite characters within the book, um, or some of my favourite stories within the book, or favourite parts of the book, because I, you know, I'd like people to uh, just sort of, like, read those through and discover them in, in the same way that I did. So I definitely recommend this book. I'm overall going to give it a a rating of four and a half stars because I did think it was let down a bit by some of the stuff that happened at the end. Let me open it up on my phone. I uh, I don't actually have internet here because I'm on a ship in the harbour of Reykjavik and where my cabin is, I don't have internet, but I did open the Goodreads page on my phone. Um, yes, with this groundbreaking novel, Maureen F. McHugh establishes herself as one of the decade's best science fiction writers. In its pages, we enter a post-revolution America, moving from hyper-urbanization, Eastern Seaboard, to the Arctic bleakness of Baffin Island, from the Imperial City to an agricultural commune on Mars. So yeah, good stuff. Um, let's have a look at what friends reviewed it. R rated it the weakest Hugo nominee I've ever read. Still a good read, but that must have been a down year. Hmm, certainly not the weakest Hugo nominee I've ever read. Uh, Phil rated it three stars. Very readable slice of life from a future world dominated by China. China. Uh, China. China. Uh, beautifully written. Uh, Tudor rated it uh, five stars. China Manting Zhang is undoubtedly one of the masterpieces of science fiction literature with a very interesting subject in today's world with an economic crisis and with China rising higher and higher. A mosaic, in quotes, of sweet ambiguity which tells you that the survival of humanity should not be an absolute that it does not give answers, but makes you uh, ask questions yourself about everything around you, from capitalism to global warming. Um, yeah, some good stuff there. Uh, those are the only reviews of my friends who have read this book um, on uh, on Goodreads. Lots of other people have rated it five and four stars. Sylvain, four stars. Um, and lots and lots and lots of people have it in their to-read uh, pile, including Tamahoni and Roman and Jenny from Reading Envy and David. Uh, Agronoff. Lots of uh, lots of uh, names there that I uh, that I recognise. So I, if you haven't got to this book yet, I do recommend you to get to it. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. I read it as a Kindle book, um, so I don't know anything about an audible. Oh no, that's the, it's not on audible, is it? So uh, as an ebook, yeah, I finished it in pretty much like a day and a half. So uh, it's an easy read. You can just breeze straight through this. It's a really good one. So uh, that's it from me. Four and a half stars. Uh, uh, no, what else do I say? Yeah, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Luke Burridge on Twitter. You can email me. Luke at juggler.net uh, with any book recommendations or uh, questions that you have or anything like that. If you've got any problems with the podcast, uh, someone said, hey, you broke the podcast feed because, yeah, I uploaded the uh, Luke and Juliana play D&D podcast and it kind of broke the feed a bit because it had wrong stuff in it. So email me with anything like that. Um, if Also, someone did email me and said, hey, I think you'd really enjoy this book. Um, it's called, uh, and it turns out I'd already read it, but don't worry about that. If you uh, if you want to re recommend a book to me, you can, um, of course, 
We're 381 episodes in now, so I totally understand it if you haven't listened to all of the podcasts and uh, haven't kept up with every book that I've read. But there is a way to do that. Go to sfbrp.com and click on Episode Lists, and uh, there you'll find uh, actually just one list, but you can sort it by episode number and author and book the episode, the series that the book's in by rating, length of the podcast, the date that I release the podcast, even by the file size, and there's links to download and all that other kind of things. too. So check it out. You can find an easy overview of all of the all of the podcasts that I've done, uh, which you can find all the books that I've read multiple times in some cases. So uh, yeah, that's it. Um, thanks a lot for listening, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>